Welcome, everyone, to a bonus part 11, the real final part of the Nolan Countdown miniseries. On this week's episode, we won't be reviewing any other Nolan films since the upcoming Tenet is all that's left, but we will be doing a retrospective on Christopher Nolan's filmography, talking about how we viewed his development, what we believe his strengths are, what areas that might be his weaker spots, and anything else that, you know, tickles our fancy when thinking about Christopher Nolan. But first, I have to introduce my co-hosts because they've been here for all 10 other Nolan Countdown episodes before this, Scott Harvey and Jay Habib. Guys, we're a little over a month or so removed from our Dunkirk episode. How have you guys been? Good. Uh, yeah, just, uh, you know, passing the time however however we can here in quarantine. Uh, it's pretty tough, but hey, I don't think any of us really expected that we, were, we might have a chance to see Tenet here as early as September, but that is what's happening um your reviews early reviews are out and you can buy your tickets and everything and i still have to firmly commit that i am going to go to see it in theaters but i think that i am leaning towards going at this point but yeah i mean i'm i'm glad we have this episode I, i think it's worth taking a few minutes here in this episode to just sort of touch base about uh you know everything that we uh we feel after watching you know all 10 of these movies because obviously we had some really long and involved discussions on on some of the movies, and uh, and so it's worth sort of looking back and you know taking a fifty thousand foot view and and seeing what we think of Nolan as a whole and how how his films have evolved, like you said. Absolutely, Jay. How are you doing? I'm good, Scott. Um, you know, always always glad to have these chats, and you know, like like Scott said, you know, I think it'll be good to take some time just to look back, see how far we've come, you know, talk about how far Nolan's come. Um, talk about our expectations for Tenet. I do not know if I will be seeing it in theaters as New York has not uh, greenlit that part of reopening yeah. yet, but maybe if I feel like taking a drive uh, somewhere else, so that might be irresponsible. So we'll, we'll see. Yeah. I, I mean, what, like, come, just go to a different state, right? Like, probably just, can you just go to New Jersey even? <laughs> Is that closer? I'm not sure if Jersey's doing theaters yet. Um, yeah, I mean that 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 would probably work though if they are if it is open. So we'll see. Yeah, well, either way, whenever the three of us do see Tenant, whenever that finally does happen, we will get together. We will do an episode. Uh, it, it's looking like it, it might not not happen on the weekend it releases, but that's okay. Uh, we'll get to it when you know when we can and when we feel safe to do it because that is the most important thing. In spite of what maybe Chris uh, believes, much was given on the podcast, I think it's a little bit insane that he's pushed so hard. Uh, to get tinted out as the first big release. Of course, theaters are thanking him for it because he's you know, the savior of cinema. Like the, and he's trying to be. I mean, I was yeah. looking at at AMC. The big AMC in Boston is opening back up. Actually, opened back up already uh, last Thursday, and they're one of the theaters where you can get like an early screening of it on August thirty first. And there's one. There's like two screenings basically um, a night there because they have two different big theaters. And that is through like whenever it officially releases, I guess on September 4th. So like like four days, they're all sold out. Um, 30%, 40% capacity in the auditoriums, but they're all sold out, which isn't surprising. Um, but we'll see when the, obviously the full release happens on September 4th, when theaters do open, we'll see if the response really is selling out. Right. Cause one of the reasons they're selling out is cause there's only two, it's only two showings per night. So it's not that many when you really think about it and add up the number of seats they can sell. It's, it's really not that much, not that much, but anyway, Forget about Tenet for now. We'll come back to it later with some of our hopes and expectations for it. But let's get started with just overall 
thoughts on Christopher Nolan? I mean, I, I mentioned some specifics that we'll be getting into a little bit later on. That you know, we were unified in our pick of what the top movie in, in Nolan's filmography was with with The Dark Knight, which you know maybe isn't isn't a huge surprise. But I, I think we do have a little bit of diversity when we go you know, even just after down the list a little bit further than that. So I'd love for you guys just to talk about, you know, some of the things that, you know, are qualities of the movies you liked the most, maybe out of out of Nolan films. And and I think that will segue nicely into some of the other points that we're making. Jay, let's go to you first. You know, the, the, the Nolan films, I mean, the ones I like, and even the ones I'm slightly less high on, you know, I mean, they all they all just force you to like think a little bit, right? Whether it's like head scratch or like puzzle solving, or just a little bit of like greater you know, not to sound dramatic, but like meaning of life type things. Like, you know, Nolan, I, I, I never walk out of a Nolan movie like brain dead, you know, if anything, like I, I'm just thinking harder than ever, um, which, you know, for you guys who know me, maybe know that's not the best thing, but it's, it's enjoyable. Um, and it's, I mean, I mean, that's just it, right? Like it, you know, if, if I think of my favorite Nolan movies, like they're not all like, you know, the biggest, they're not all like the biggest budget or the most like actiony, like, you know, they, they all like just, you, you know, what I like about each of them is like a little bit different, but it all really just comes down to, you know, like making you like think hard and, you know, feel something probably dark. I think one of the nice things about Nolan is that, I mean, you get a little bit of levity there too sometimes, not always, and maybe not in even the best films, but I think there's, there's hopeful notes that aren't always so dark. Some of his films. And I think one of those films, you know, is interstellar Scott, which is one of your favorite ones. And, and I'd love it's as dark as that story is. I mean, if anything, it's the most hopeful in terms yeah. of endings. I feel like of all the Nolan, of all the Nolan films. So, what about you, Scott? What, what what are the qualities of these films that you like the most out of Nolan? I mean, look, anyone who's listened to the series will know that I respond very well to when he goes for more big emotional moments, kind of like you're talking about there, Scott. Because I think where I struggle with some films, and I mean Inception and Prestige, maybe being two examples, are. Um, are just that I don't feel anything. Like I'm very impressed with what he's able to accomplish um, in much of those movies with his storytelling, with his world building. I mean, I think in terms of world building, he that is one of his huge strengths as a filmmaker is uh, he knows how to create something that we've never seen before and yet, you know, drop you in in an hour and uh, you know, you're, you're totally enthralled more so than you are confused. And so, I mean, I think that those films have that, but, they were just kind of missing a little bit of a beating heart for me. And, and that is something that just me as a, as a, um, as a film goer, like that is a, a quality that I look for in, in every movie that I see. And my favorite movies are ones that uh, are ones that can, you know, make me feel something can uh, emotionally connect with me and mm-hmm. inception prestige don't necessarily do that. But when he does decide to go for that in a film like interstellar, or Dunkirk. I think there are moments yeah. in Dunkirk like that too. I think The Dark Knight, I mean, look, it's it's the best film. I wouldn't say that if I didn't think that there were definitely moments, um, you know, in which he uh, leans into that. But I think particularly like what I have discovered during this series and what I'm thankful that we did this series for is that late period Nolan is my favorite, like, version of nolan i mean post inception those last three films that he's done are are all fantastic in my opinion and we'll talk about this a little more maybe when we if we talk about him evolving as a filmmaker but show him show more of a willingness to embrace the the emotional side of things so i think that is what i connect to most Uh, and look it's not surprising when you see how rigorous and intelligent and clever and original his films are uh like those first few films are 
it's no surprise that when he does decide to go down that different route, he's really good at, at it too, right? right? Like, like Interstellar to me is is a great. Uh, I mean, it's in it's house. It's not a film. Uh, it's an emotional powerhouse. It's not a film that um, that is weak in terms of its emotional storytelling. Like you could just as easily be fooled into thinking this is the type of film Nolan had been making his whole career because I think he he makes it very confidently. And so, yeah, I think what I look for and what a quality of a good Nolan film is, is kind of the same thing about any film, honestly, for me. I, I, and yeah, and I think to, to that point, I think the dark Knight really is this film though. It isn't late stage Nolan, obviously, cause it's what, 2008, 2007. Um, and one of the things that I think is the most impressive is that it feels like the best fusion of, of everything that Nolan is just incredible at, right? Yeah. The world that he had already established in Batman begins the characters that were really deep and, emotional right i think i think it's very safe to say emotional and i think one of the things that and i think this will segue us into that evolution that you were talking about here or alluding to that we will we'll get to here is this idea that over time i think nolan had a lot of ideas and he even as was a gifted filmmaker from early on knowing what to do with them with maybe the exception of following because even with memento i think he had a great idea and he knew what to do with it and he knew how to execute on it I think I'd take your point around emotion even a step further and, and say, I'm not sure he really knew how to fuse emotion into his films for a really long period of time. I, I think that one of the things that, that stands out as clever and, and interesting as Memento is, I don't think there's any emotion really in it much whatsoever. I don't think that you feel a real strong emotional connection to, to Leonard. And I mean, maybe you feel some emotional connection to the people who have who are frustrated by him and are trying to help him in some ways. And, and he is this sort of defeatist type of character and, and you feel frustration and some sort of emotion out of that, but it still feels very dry. I, I mean, as much as I like the prestige, I think, I think you're right there. There isn't an incredible amount of emotion in the prestige, except for a few moments. Uh, and a lot of that is the relationship between the, you know, the two Christian pales you see on screen. Um, Cutter and actually I'm not even sure that's his name. I can't remember the names right now. Um, it's not. Jay's shaking his head. So we'll move on. We'll move that's on. That's Michael Caine's character. Yeah. Yeah. Cutter is Michael Caine's character. Yeah, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, but but I think as you move on, and I think The Dark Knight is like some like really early Nolan, uh, kind of maybe even the first Nolan film that I really feel like is just completely full of uh, emotional characters, or at least characters exploring some more emotional beats. You know, whether or not you think. Rachel Dawes is a really deep character and on and draws a lot of emotion. And I think we questioned it at the time on the podcast. And um, I think I'd, I'd stick by that as well. I, I do think that Nolan is trying to do something with that, even if it's, you know, not as successful as he might be later on in his filmography. And I think after that, like I disagree about inception in terms of it not being emotional. Like I feel like a, the beats of Leonardo DiCaprio and, and this, a strange relationship he has with his dead wife really works for me. And I really feel the, the emotional power of, of those moments and, and even kind of the brotherhood that he seems to develop with some of these other people, including Saito, who he goes even deeper in, into, you know, um, the dream space to, to find and bring back. But I do agree that after that, starting with the dark Knight rises and after, I think he really starts to make more of a point about it. And, you know, we talked on, you know, the last episode on the Dunkirk episode about how one of the things that surprised at least you and me, Scott, the most is how emotional the film really is for something that that I remember being so surgical in its, you know, theatricality and its technical ability. Um, but to have these like emotionally soaring moments at the end uh, was really something special. And I think that 
I would be interested to see how that continues to develop to develop in tenant, but we'll get to that later. But guys, with, with that in mind, I think the qualities that really stick up the most for me are, are these ones that fuse, and maybe this is like a real cop-out answer, but the ones that just fuse all these things that I love about Nolan so well, they get the balance right. I think there's some that overdo it in one department and and in others that overdo it in the other. Like I think Interstellar is an example of one that just to give you the emotional payoff goes like so far beyond its means and uh, becomes an, an, an imagination of emotion um, and convenience at the end, even though it's a, you know, a really brilliant film for the first two thirds or so, in my opinion. And then there's the other side of things when it's just so surgical. I think something like insomnia insomnia is, is a film that, you know, could, could have done with some, with you just, giving a crap about some of these characters like like frankly i think i think there's other things wrong with insomnia too but it's just so trying to be this sort of like surgical plot uh device or not device say, but the surgical plot of you know here's xyz thing here's what's going to happen next here's this twist so on so forth it, it just doesn't seem to take advantage of actually the actual characters in the film um and and for that reason i think has the most forgettable characters in the entire you know nolan filmography and so when you get a, a film like the dark knight or like inception for me, I think those things just fuse them so well together that they become inescapable um, to capture my imagination, ca to capture my attention, and and for me to care about these things. And so that's what kind of sticks out the most for me. And with that, I think we can kind of segue into the sort of how we view Nolan has evolved over time. I've given my thoughts, but I think there's lots of different takes here on how he's evolved. So, Scott, you look like you were going to say something while I was talking there. So why don't you go ahead? Oh, I just wanted to add that I... I should have said about Inception, I don't feel anything outside of DiCaprio's arc. I think that is, that is it. I think that is where the movie like puts all of its cards and sure. the supporting characters are all, I mean, almost interchangeable for me uh, in, in that movie. But uh, yeah, no, I, I should have clarified that. I, okay. I agree that DiCaprio's arc, yes, does have some feeling to it. Yeah. But do you want to go ahead and talk about how you kind of viewed Nolan's development? Sure. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that it's interesting, like viewing it in the light of some other filmmakers that we've watched yeah. movies from recently, I think, and, and in particular, filmmakers who are aging, right? I, I think, yeah. obviously, as Nolan all filmmakers is, do over time. <laughs> yes, I, I feel like Nolan is, I mean, he's definitely younger than the, the two names that I'm about to mention. But I, I see things in common between his late period films and the late period films of like, Quentin Tarantino and Martin Scorsese, right? Like last year we had The Irishman and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And we talked a lot about he, how these were very much sort of twilight films for these directors. And because of that, it seems like in their old age, they've gotten a little more sentimental, right? Like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, easily the most sentimental, you could almost even say uplifting film that Tarantino has made. Um, you know, you didn't know he, he had it in him really, but um He's 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 getting near the end of his career. I mean, he he's in his what sixties probably. Um, you know, he's fifty seven. Oh, okay. Well, he's not as old as I thought. But um, yeah, still, Nolan's, he, Nolan's fifty for context. So. He claims to be towards the end of his career, um, and you know that I think we see that he's getting more sentimental in a film like this. Same thing with Scorsese, right? In the Irish, he's only thirty like, years old, right? Scorsese's pretty young, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, he he like this. The Irishman is this whole movie about like how having like a loving family life is ultimately a more rewarding thing than, you know, this life of crime like that Frank she Sheeran chose to pursue and how, you know, at the end of the film, it's, it's a very sad film in the end because he's missed out on all of this. Um, you know, he, he's missed out on his family's entire lives. And by the time he's decided, Hey, I want to go back and participate in their lives. It's too late. And 
all of his friends, his so-called friends, right, that he made in this life of crime, they're all dead or they've abandoned him. So just uh, like the people who got to the three hour mark in the movie. I'm going to ignore that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, for for Nolan, too, it's the same thing, right? Like he starts to get more sentimental in those in those later films. And I think Interstellar, I'll, to go back to Interstellar, I think there's something so powerful about the fact that here is a guy, right, who prides himself, again, on such rigorous, intelligent films like he creates these world worlds he explains the rules for everything blah 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 blah. i think there's something so powerful about him almost like humbling himself and saying i can't explain this like here is the one thing that i christopher nolan cannot explain and it is like this force of love that is on display in in interstellar and so i that is why i respond to to that film in particular because i like the fact that someone is yeah and y'all can you know y'all can snicker all you want but I, I think that um i'm not alone in in my feeling he admits defeat in explaining this world in the uh, in explaining this aspect of the world that he's created is something so different for nolan and i think that is why the emotion connects for me even if it doesn't you know add up or whatever um i think that uh it's it's a he's doing something different and i i appreciate that and dunkirk too right again dunkirk i think I felt very cold towards that movie the first time I saw it. But this time I, I really like, I think there's some really triumphant moments in the movie. I mean, the, you know, home moment and the end when he's reading Churchill's speech out of the paper. I think uh, Nolan's becoming a little bit of a softy in his old age. And that's, that is what I like. Um, with that being said, from what I'm hearing of Tenet, it sounds like he might be going back to the inception days a little bit. So I don't know if this is going to be one of my favorites, but I think he had a really strong stretch there with with three films in Dark Knight Rises, Interstellar, and Dunkirk, which I think are you could fairly compare to those Twilight films of those other directors in terms of how they embrace sentiment more. And I that is, you know, again, going back to the last question, that is a quality that maybe the the main quality I look for in a in a film. So look I, I think you can watch the trailer for Tenet and know that it's a lot it's gonna be a lot less like Dunkirk yeah. and Interstellar than than inception and whatnot but I, I don't think that means that there isn't emotion in, and i don't think that you're going to see emotion is something that's talked very much about in, in any chris nolan film review unless it really just for some reason took center stage which i doubt i doubt it ever would even with this development that we're talking about yeah jay how about you man jump in here uh you got to take me back to the first question i feel like we no, so it's yeah, so, quite no, a no, I think it's the development of Nolan as, as a filmmaker, right? Like, what have you seen from? I mean, we haven't really talked at all about following, and I don't necessarily need, need to think that we need to too much, but uh, you know, going from following and memento all the, all the way to the end, like, what has changed for you? How does he develop? What are what are things or aspects of his filmmaking villain now that you kind of watch them all in order back to back to back to back to back to back to back here? What What's changed about him? What's evolved? Where? Sure. I mean, so first off, to give Scott Harvey some apologies for the snicker earlier, because, you know, it wasn't so much a snicker as just a chuckle at, you know, I guess a clear, you know, difference in, in viewing some of these films, because where you guys don't necessarily, you know, feel some of those emotions, uh, again, just use that like as an umbrella term, you know, and like the prestige, like I really do. Um, and that's not to say that I don't, you know, in the, in the, the later Nolan films, but I, I definitely feel like, you know, in, the prestige, you know, in Inception, you know, and of course in like the Batman movies, like, you know, I, I feel that, and, you know, obviously. I think Batman you know, Begins big... is pretty, I mean, in my opinion, if I feel like Batman Begins, and one of the reasons why it ended up being maybe my least favorite of the three, although it's a high bar, is because it feels like this really, like this, like a lot of like unexplored potential in terms of under, like really 
feeling where Bruce Wayne is other other than maybe feeling the sort of rage towards Gotham as a concept, which maybe is the point, right? Uh, maybe that's the emotion you're talking about. And and maybe even a better way to put it to your point here is that the emotion that you see that, that emerges out of Nolan's you know filmmaking is a lot nicer, maybe in the more recent movies and a lot less. I don't know what the right word is in like resentable. I mean, yeah. so, so much of what, <laughs> so point. much of what fires the prestige forward is, is just just hate for another person, right? This, this, I, this like, desire to one up someone and, well, and maybe I'll, I'll call it obsession more than hate. Um, sure. Which, sure. I, I mean, like, obs- I, yeah, you're, you're not wrong. I'm just, that's, that, that's more like the part of it that I feel like keeps me engaged. Like I, I'm yeah. more into it. Cause I'm like, you know, the, it's the obsession that like is keeping me focused. Not so much the, like how much these guys hate each other. I mean, they're, they're definitely very related. Sure. Um, I, I think the, the point though, and I think, I think you're right about that. I think that's a better way to put it. And I think the point though is, is that it seems like Nolan, even in Memento, right? Like he's taking these, um, these, these feelings or, you know, I think that's very fair to call them emotions. And maybe Scott and I were just using the wrong, the wrong words to talk about these things, but these like feelings that just are dirtier, right? Like they're not the good parts of humanity and so much of interstellar, right? To go back to that, it is, trying to get at like the best parts of humanity, like look, like looking at, at Dr. Man and what he's doing versus, you know, what Coop and Anne Hathaway's character, I don't remember the name right brand. now, brand. Yeah. Are, are doing and comparing and juxtaposing those, those people. I mean, that, that is the best part of humanity. Whereas Memento is like, you know, you feel for this guy at the beginning, but you realize at the end, he's doing all these things to himself and doing these things to other people without any second thought to it. And so to, I, I interrupted you and I apologize, but I think that's a really good point that you're making there that it's, it's nicer emotions that we're maybe exploring in in more recent uh, Nolan films. Yeah, perhaps. And I, I guess you know, I, I don't, I don't really mind the the darker ones and the early ones. And I, I, in its own, in their own way, like you know, find me caring about the characters again. I guess not, you know, not in as much of a positive way. But you know, I, I will, you know, credit you guys on that. That certainly, you know, what what I feel towards the characters is much more positive uh, in the later half of the Nolan movies. Something else I feel like I've noticed, and Scott Harvey, I'm surprised you didn't uh, touch on this, um, but just I had never really given too much thought to how Nolan directed his like female characters, right? Um, something I feel like I'm a little more keenly aware of now. And, you know, of course, we only have, we really only have, I feel like, Interstellar to be like, all right, like, that's where he did it, like, right? Um, yeah, yeah. He, I think he gets close in Memento, and he gets close in Dark Knight Rises. Like, for yeah. me, those... He's he he's getting there, but like those those middle period, you know, the Rachel Dawes is the you know all the women in the Prestige. Certainly, I think, I think he's struggling a lot. Scarlett Johansson's yeah. better than than Rebecca Hall, certainly. Sure, but that's yeah, like I'm comparing. Well, I'm not gonna go there. <laughs> it's don't like comparing it. yeah, Gwyneth Paltrow and Helena Bonham Carter from David Fincher. Am I right? Oh my god. <laughs> um, yeah, fair. In any case, yeah, I mean, and yeah, in Dark Knight Rises, you know, he got close. There was, you know, the the moment right before the bomb goes off, obviously, you know, kind of sunk it for me at least. Um, yeah, this is all to you say. You only just I, watched Anne Hathaway right off into the distance on the on the bat bike, and just just a nice shot of her ass. It would have been better. Oh than my god, what actually ended up happening in the end of the film? Obviously, sounds like you wanted a Joss Whedon reshoot of that movie. Oh man, yeah. Look, oh, I was, oh my god, it, it's funny though that you bring her up because I was thinking. There's a, a show that in one of the you know movie community things that I'm part of, and they they're talking about their favorite director actor actress combos coming up this week. And I was like, if I had to think about one actor who I'd pick for Nolan in terms of like they work the best together, 
Anne Hathaway is the person that comes to to my mind, like which is so weird considering how he struggles with uh with you know with female characters. But I think like two he gets two really good and distinct performances out of her in Dark Knight Rises and Interstellar. And I'm not sure that you could say that really about any other actors. I mean, Michael Caine, okay, but like oh, he's, I was gonna say that's the other one. <laughs> he's playing like you know s- supporting roles in in you know most most movies sometimes he's barely even in them um but hathaway has like two pretty major roles certainly in interstellar and you know also in in dark knight rises to some degree uh and i think like i don't know what something between the two of them clicked and she was the one that came to my mind but i think tom hardy could be another good one too but sorry jay please continue no it's fine i mean you, you guys are making good points I mean, this well is you, you were very silent in both of ours and we've we've been interrupting it's fine. You no it's right good um I mean, this is all to say that, you know, I'm, you know, he, although we've definitely noticed some things that have like changed about his movies over time, like he's still far and away my like favorite director. And I mean, you know, that again, I will acknowledge that's coming from a much smaller scope of movies than say you guys. I mean, you know, obviously the countdowns we're doing are starting to add a little bit to my arsenal over time. Um, Now, you know, the filmography of George Lucas. Yeah, we're adding Dave. No, you know, like, no, I know we didn't watch THX or, uh, or American Graffiti for George Lucas. Yeah, right. But yeah, no, I mean he's you know he's he's still the goat in my eyes, uh, Nolan. So you know, <laughs> not um, George Lucas, of course. Not. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so you know it, it you know it. I, I think we summed up nicely, you know, just what has changed. But you know, fully yeah. noting that it, it's almost all good things, um, even if you know it, it, when I think about you know both off of feeling and off of score, I think that like middle fifty percent of Nolan does better than either the beginning or the end for me. But that that, that again, that doesn't mean that I you know like him any less after inception dunkirk and you know I- i'm sure i'll enjoy tenet too yeah and so just out of curiosity the middle 50 for you is that starting like from the prestige to i guess to the dark the dark knight rises probably to inception i mean dark knight rises did well i mean you know it did, i mean uh, inceptions I really- is what seventh film so i don't know if that's the are you talking about I mean, where it ends yeah okay gotcha just about i mean it's, okay. it's not an exact science i didn't actually look at the yeah, I was just curious what I'm you were just thinking what you were more like. Yeah, yeah we're, we're, you know, Scott, you uh, maybe praise, you know, like later Nolan is the ones that, you know, you have mm-hmm. tugged your heartstrings the most. Like, you know, to me, I'm, you know, keeping my, my favorite Nolan films, I guess, in the middle. Sure. No, I think that's that's definitely a period like Prestige, Dark Knight and Inception. Like you can throw Batman Begins in there, too, maybe. But mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, honestly, we kind of talked about the things that we view Nolan's strengths are, at least I did, and, and some of his weaknesses as well. I, I think one of the things that we've briefly alluded to here and briefly brought up is, you know, his treatment of female characters and whether that's his ability to write them or direct them, maybe both, I don't know, um, but work them into his, his plots and, and his movies and his stories effectively. I think that's something that he consistently struggled with over the 20 plus years, you know, I guess 21 years now that he's been making films. And one of the things that I think is interesting is that it, it does feel like, yeah, okay, you have to take Dunkirk out because there's no female characters in it. But, um, you know, with Interstellar, I think we're all in agreement, you know, regardless of where that film falls in our list, that it, it's, it's a better job by Chris Nolan getting a female character in there. And, you know, we have Elizabeth Debicki at the very least. That's going to be a sort of central female character coming up in Tenet. And I wonder if we think that, you know, if we had to make a prediction, and I know I'm skipping around a little bit in our agenda here, but if we had to make a prediction, will Elizabeth Debicki be more like Amelia Brand 
or will she be more like uh, one of one of the many other female characters? And, and I shouldn't say too many because there honestly there aren't that many female characters in his filmography, um, to be frank. But some of the other characters that we're less whelmed by, like a you know like a Rachel Dawes, even. I okay. Well, I mean, look, I've read some of the reviews for Tenet. I don't think that she's going to be in the good camp. Just from from what I've read, it seems like she's a little bit underused in um, the the movie. But I'm not going to go any further than that because obviously, I mean, I not that I know that much more. But um, you know, I don't want to give too much away about Tenet. I know we all want to remain kind of cold on it. But yeah. um, she's she's a very very talented actress. Scott and I are both huge fans of her, yeah. and um, I. It seems like she's not being done justice in this movie, which, okay, like there's, there's a, it's a, it's tough to do an actress of her quality justice um, in in a movie, if we're being quite honest. But um, yeah, I I don't know. I'm not super optimistic based on some of the stuff I've read, but I mean, reviews have been wrong before. I mean, if I had to, so I, I, I actually knew less than that before uh, what you just said, but uh, if I can pretend I didn't just hear that, I mean, I I would want to give Nolan the benefit of the doubt. But I mean, keeping in mind, I guess what like slightly less I have read in terms of, you know, feeling like just kind of like another action thriller movie, like that genre of movie makes me a little bit less confident in yeah. like how Nolan write that type of character. But yeah. again, I'd, I'd want to give him the benefit of the doubt. It just doesn't necessarily seem like it's going that way based sure, on yeah. reviews and what you guys have said. Yeah, I mean, look, like it, it's a spy film. Like this film is a spy movie. And when has James Bond ever had a good female character? Just for an example, like <laughs> maybe, maybe Ava Green's character, Vesper. But like even then, not really. I mean, she basically just—I mean, she's basically just an object. I mean, she's like fine in the first movie, but she essentially in the second movie is just—it's just frigging. They just like took her character and be like, you know what, James? You know what you need? You need some motivation. You need someone, some female dying to give you a little motivation, and we'll pump you, pump you back into the action there. Um, and that didn't, doesn't doesn't work well. I don't think that. I mean, I hope that's not what they do in this film, and I don't expect them to. But look, like the spy movies are not known for having strong female characters. And I, it, I will say to to slightly push back another movie starring uh, Elizabeth Debicki and uh, and also Alicia Vikander that is a spy movie, Man from Uncle. I thought actually did a pretty decent job with its its female character. So, but yeah. I agree with you that that is probably more the exception than the rule. Yeah, I actually haven't seen Man from Uncle, but I, but I want to see that soon. Okay. But that, that, that's fair. Look, uh, there's exceptions to everything. I think you can argue yeah. that Mission Impossible has a couple of good female characters, yes, although not all of them. Ilsa. Yeah, yeah, well, that's what, that's what I was going to say. I was like, there's exceptions to these rules, obviously. But I think the overall, like the rule of thumb here is that if you're making a spy movie, you're going to have to work pretty hard to get a, an interesting and, and well done female character just because of the stereotypes of the genre, even. And I think that when you put those things together with with Nolan and and just looking at the trailers, right, it doesn't it doesn't look like Elizabeth Debicki is yeah. a critical central part of the film that you know you kind of live with the character and and you have these experiences, which is what happened in Interstellar. Like, yes, the first forty five minutes, Doctor Amelia Brand's not like a huge role, but like once they once they lift off from Earth, like she's just as important as Matthew McConaughey's character up until the last you know fifteen twenty minutes of the film when. Um, they go into the black hole. So, like for that center portion of the film, she's critically important, and you're and you're having so many experiences, you know, with her and learning so much with her, and and really getting connected to this character. And 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 I don't expect that those types of situations to be the case in a film that looks like Tenet looks, and especially with a a, a film that looks closer, like you said, Scott, to Inception, which I think is a very fair thing to say, because um, that's a film that 
you know, I think that the mall character is, is interesting, but it's not like that film is centered around really strong female characters like an interstellar was. So uh, look, we'll, we'll see how it shakes out. I think that I, I would be interested to see if Nolan gave himself the opportunity to really live with a female character again, kind of like we got in interstellar, if he'd be able to do it as well again, um, or if he'll continue to seek out these sort of, um, you know, films and stories and situations where female characters just frankly, like don't have the opportunity um, to be written in, the, in that way. And that's probably not even a, a fair thing to say because you could make a, the center, you know, the central character in your film, a female, but if you're going to write it from that male, that male lens, that male perspective, then it might be more difficult to, to fit it in, in that way. But maybe, maybe I don't, I'm not trying to give him a pass. I just think that um, like he's just not interested in telling that type of story. And, that doesn't mean that you that you should then write weak female characters on the periphery of your films. Like I will continue to give them a hard time if that is the case in Tenet, uh, which you know maybe it will, maybe it won't be. I don't know. We'll see. We'll have our own opinions on that. But overall, I, I think that it's not a surprise that Interstellar, to me, if it is, this ends up being the case that Interstellar was more of an exception rather than, uh, to the rule rather than the rule itself. And look, you know, you made the the crack earlier about Fincher. Like, yeah. Nolan is not the only director, not the only male director, certainly, who fall, yeah. falls prey to this problem, I think. There's a whole something. Reddit on men writing women and how terrible it is. So, Yeah, I think that's something that, uh, that we're going to notice in, you know, most of these countdown series that we, you know, in, in more than one of these countdown series uh, that that we do, I should say. And we um, already did because Star Wars is, has, uh, is just as guilty at times as, yeah. as, as that as well. Yeah, no, no, you're you're absolutely right. I, I do want to add one thing too that is kind of on another topic, but in terms of sure. like another thing that I think is a slight weakness of Nolan's films, and that's the humorlessness. Uh, I mean, there's really not any humor in. I mean, maybe there's an odd joke here. They're like, I. Well, here's what I'll say: the two of my favorite movies uh, from Nolan, I think, are the two movies that have like at least a little bit of successful humor. I mean, Memento being one. Uh, I think has the like at, at least have the the great moment of like what's happening? Uh, I'm chasing this guy. No, he's chasing me. Uh, I mean that's funny. Um, like he, you know a little bit of like knowing uh, you know f- filmmaking, knowing writing about like the the gimmick that he set up, and then in the Dark Knight, right? Like Heath Ledger's performance for as dark and twisted as he is, there is something you know drolly funny about his character that I think makes it works so well. I think that's one of the reasons why he's such a magnetic presence because there is this like twisted humor to his character. But I think that a movie like the prestige, I know we keep going back to it, but that is just a little stuffy for me. Um, I think throwing in, you know, a little bit of, you know, humor, uh, you know, here or there, I'm not saying it has to become a freaking, you know, all out comedy, but yeah, a couple, a couple dead wife jokes to Hugh Jackman. And we listened to that. (laughs) Yeah, sure. Uh, but I think that something like that would at least help get through. I mean, Maybe they're not trying to get through to somebody like me, but I think I would feel a little more goodwill to, uh, I mean, I would feel something towards the movies, right? Because I'm talking about how I feel a little cold after Inception or The Prestige or something. I think that spicing things up with a little bit of of humor might, um, you know, fix that in some regard. I mean, you know, it's not a substitute for you know, genuine emotion or whatever, but like, just, just make me have fun, right? Like make me have fun. And I think a lot of his movies are so fun. Um, but could use a little, little dash of, uh, of humor and good spirits for me. Good spirits. Just what I'm, just what I'm looking for in my, in my movies, like the prestige and memento. Um, but no, I, I take your point. Look, it's why it's one of the many reasons why the MCU has been so successful is that they're able to mix 
the you know in moments the the seriousness with with more like lighter humor more humorous moments in there over 25 films like they they manage to do it every time somehow and, and frankly the Zack Snyder can't do that uh, as effectively and uh, we'll see if we'll see if the four hour version of Justice League brings any more humor other than the fact that you're laughing that you actually watched it uh, so I think moving on from that look I, we can talk more about strengths I think it I think we're all gonna I don't know if there's really much to say I mean the guy's like an actual absolute technical master uh, of filmmaking I mean the guy does it all in terms of technical aspects the cinematography in his films especially I think Later on, I think his filmography, his cinematography gets even better. Um, but his production design, especially Scott, you were talking about the imagination and his ability to create wor- worlds. I think a huge part of that is the production design that he employs on so many of his films. Like that, the I mean, the score. I mean, there's so many scores that are phenomenal. Um, you know, I think you can really take your pick. I think about half of his filmography has some of my favorite scores. You know, top 10, 20, 30, 40 f- scores of all time. There, uh, really impressive stuff and. You know, visual effects, right? He's always pushing. It feels like he's always pushing the envelope of what's possible. You know, whether it's films where it's more obvious that there's visual effects happening, like an Inception, um, etc. But then there's things, or Interstellar, for example. But then there's things like Dunkirk, where it's like, it, yes, there's like, yes, there's huge explosions that they are not doing in real life. But it's like those things look like they're real things that could happen, right? Whereas, like, obviously. The black hole, it's so clear that it's CG animated. Like, I know we don't know what a black hole looks like, but no one's going to watch that and be like, hmm, yeah, that, look, that, was, that was a practical effect they just did. Um, but yeah, he, he his visual effects capabilities and, and what he's able to do in the more real life stuff, I put that in quotation marks, uh, how he's able to mix the visual uh, CG effects with the practical effects, I think is really spectacular. But anything else, guys, you want to add about strengths of Christopher Nolan that may not be as obvious as what I've just said? I just want to throw out there that I don't really mind the lack of humor. Maybe that's Jason, just me. No, that's fine. I, I think it's fair. Like, I, w- could some over-serious films use a little of relief? Yes. In those films that it bothered me that there wasn't any humor, for me, not as much. But that that's that's going to be a personal preference thing, and I don't think Scott was trying to say otherwise. No, sure. no, no. I was just um, stating my preference. I, what, I, what, I, what I was going to say, though, I think that I've seen it described multiple times by people, and I think this is such a dumb comment, that nolan makes uh dumb makes movies that make dumb people feel smart and i think i think it's a ridiculous and absurd comment because i think that what he actually does and what he's so good at right is he makes smart movies but these movies are also accessible to you know the even even casual moviegoers like like comic book film fans whatever people who aren't necessarily going to like the most intellectually rigorous films that are out there Uh, but he makes the he makes these people want to go to the cinema to see an original film and he like engrosses you in what he's doing. So like that you are thinking about it the whole time you want to uh, try and figure out you want you want to be getting to the bottom of what's going on. Like he really engages your mind um, with, with his movies. And I think that there is something very difficult, right, again, to make intelligent films for the common person. And so you could say that you could you could say that it's making smart, or, you know, movies that make dumb people feel smart or whatever but they are you know they're smart movies in and of themselves and i think that it's very hard to do to make films accessible like that and i mean you know we've talked about this with other filmmakers like how hard it is like james mangold for example how hard it is to make a movie that is going to satisfy everyone um it's 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 very i mean it's as hard to do as it is to you know go make some successful art house movie or whatever. So I think uh, that Nolan deserves credit, right, for making these really dense, complicated, 
intelligent films that somehow resonate with a mass audience. I think he's really mastered that. Yeah. It's kind of like saying, I, I, I almost feel like it's like Michael Douglas or something made that comment uh, right after he said that he feel his most proud performance is, is creating a movie, is creating a character in a movie where you can't guess the ending, just like dunking on people. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting perspective on, on films and it's, it's weird that that's a criticism. It's weird that it's a criticism that that you can make all your all the all the moviegoers who see your film uh, understand the film that you're doing when you're doing some really interesting uh, stuff in it as well. But we'll see. Tenet seems like it's up that alley again from the very brief things that I read around this movie, where you really shouldn't try too hard to figure out what's going on, and you should just experience it, and things will come to you. Uh, that's at least that I've read so far. But we'll see. We'll see what that. Looks like that's an interesting comment, Scott. I'm glad you made that one because we didn't really talk about the cleverness in too much detail, the cleverness of the filmmaking. Jay, do you, anything you want to add to what Scott said there? No, I think you said it well, and I'm, I'm glad you pointed that out. Yeah, I, I definitely don't, it doesn't sound like you do, agree with that whole point about making dumb people feel smart. I just, I, I think you, you said it best. It, he does make movies that are, you know, accessible to a lot of people. And yeah, I'm, I'm glad we took a second. Yeah, to give him I'm sure just because it's accessible to a lot of people does not mean it is for dumb people. Like, I guess that's the, that's the main point that I'm trying to make. Like, and that, totally. that I think that is the stigma, right. That like it holds down genre films that we always go on about on some, like a Scott, Scott, you know, the, the Academy, maybe this is how they view genre movies as well as, well, these aren't for cinephiles. These are for the common man or whatever. Well, um, I was th I was thinking that like that this person probably, you know, these people make this quote right after watching like Robert Eggers is the lighthouse and like yeah. freaking out about it, like how amazing <laughs> it was and how artsy it was. Be like, sure. yeah, no, it's so dumb. <laughs> or right after they watch like whatever that uh, Claire Denny movie with Robert Pattinson was they had a couple like last year. Like, those like, yeah. those A24 people, they're just the worst. <laughs> yeah, I know, right? I say that after having bought a hat last week as well. Yeah. Uh, all right, guys. I think that we're reaching the end here. Any any thoughts or hopes? Maybe we'll tell Scott to shut up here since he's read uh, read read reviews of Tenant. But any any thoughts or hopes or expectations for Tenant, Jay? I hope I give it at least a nine. Shut up. I was hoping for something way more interesting than that. <laughs> I thought you were about to say um, I hope you give it a like a six point five. You're like, I oh, know you're good. Don't worry. It's not the Rise of Skywalker. I'm sure. Uh huh. Um. You know, I, I hope there is a situation in which I'm able to see this movie, you know, safely yeah, and that's confidently. Like, that's your biggest hope for Tenet. Is that you can no, honestly, like, I, I mean, yeah. yeah, that's just it, right? Like, I really hope, I, you know, there, a situation arises in which I'm able to go see it yeah. safely, legally, you know. And I I don't uh, know, like, yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I'm excited, you know, I mean, I'm sure you guys have touched on this so much, both in, you know, the normal Some Like It's Got episodes, and you know, I know we've touched on it here, like, I miss going to a theater. I live around the corner from oh, one. It's never I come on our other podcast. All the time, I'm sure. Um, you're and telling I, me you don't listen to every episode of Some Like a Scott? Not every episode. No, you're um, off the series now. I'm trying. <laughs> Hold on, just let me just take him out here. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> just no, I'm kidding. Out. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I like I said, like I was saying, you know, I walk by a theater like almost every day, and I, you know, I. I feel like this this is going to be a good one to see like on a big screen with all the effects and hopefully you know with some number of other people present and you know it it yeah. won't you know it won't be right. end game. Is a Warner Brothers night. spokesman behind you right now? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, like, it it won't be end game on opening night, but I'm I'm really hoping I can see this in theaters and that you know it just it, it's a fun, exciting movie that makes me think a little bit and you know hopefully uses a female character well and you know yeah. Nolan will just continue to live uh, at the top yeah. of the mountain for me. 
Yeah, I, I mean, for me, about Tenet, aside from this idea that I, I, you know, I wish there was an environment that I would feel 100% safe in going to see it, I think I'm, I'm going to have to come to terms with the fact that there, I probably will not feel 100% safe watching this movie whenever I do see it, unless I'm watching it in my home and I wait that long. But overall, I think hopes for this movie is that, you know, I hope we get something that really is this sort of film where, you know, you want to watch it more than once. Like uh, so many of Nolan's films, I've ended them and I've wanted to start them back over again. At least the first time I saw them, like I want to go the next day and see it again. And I think that's the sign of a film and, and uh, that you just are really excited about. I mean, because that's the thing, right? Like Scott and I were talking about this game if it was on air or off air. But, you know, this is the film we're going back to theaters and like it or not, whether we think Nolan's crazy or not or stubborn or not, however you want to describe it. Like this is the film that's reopening theaters. And if and when I go and see this film, I want to leave that theater thinking like, well, this was the film to reopen theaters. And I think that there's lots of ways to go about that. There's not one solution that gets you to that answer. But I really hope that that is the feeling that I have walking out. And based on his track record, it probably will be the way I'm feeling when I when I walk out. And I and I and I really hope that's the case. That's probably my biggest hope for for Tenet. I I hope it's one of those things where I you know I can't really guess guess the ending. I hope it 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 has its twists and turns as we kind of all hope. Not necessarily plot twists, but it, you know it has its twists and turns throughout the film. And I hope that you know what's interesting is that John David Washington has this opportunity to be this really awesome character and really break through uh, into the into the limelight truly, even after something like Black Klansman from a couple of years ago. And I think he I hope he can do that as well. And you know Robert Pattinson. He probably doesn't really need this that much. He's going to be the Batman in a, in a year's time. So and like eight other movies, like yeah, no. honestly, Robert, Robert Pattinson's doing yeah. work uh, in in Hollywood, and so is John David Washington. To be fair, I mean, he's got that movie with Zendaya uh, mm -hmm. coming out in, in a little bit that was shot during quarantine with was it Sam Levinson? Um, so yeah. so yeah, he, he's doing well also. But I think this could be huge. Uh, this could be huge for him, and I, and I hope that it is. All right, guys. I think that should actually put a wrap on our Nolan countdown. Please follow our podcast on Twitter at, at Media Plug Pod, uh, at Media Plug Pods. Woo. Subscribe to our newsletter using the link in the episode notes. And don't forget to check out our podcast Patreon page at www.patreon.com slash Media Plug Pods. Check it out and pick the tier that's right for you. If you choose not to support us over on Patreon, that's totally fine. You can still find us on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and wherever else you listen to your podcast, where we'd appreciate if you rated and reviewed us as well as subscribed and shared. And... Uh, I think most importantly, you know, we this is the end of the Nolan Countdown miniseries. We will review Tenet, the three of us, at some point. We're not yet sure exactly when that's going to be. But like us, I think we wish for all of you that if you do choose to go out and see Tenet, be safe about it. Wear a mask. Um, if you don't feel comfortable, don't go. It's okay. This film will come out on VOD eventually. You can watch yes. it there. Uh, it's not no one movie is worth it, uh, worth feeling like you're endangering yourself. Uh, if you feel comfortable, that's great. That's awesome. Be responsible and safe about it. But overall... Um, just, just be safe and um, don't be pressured into making a decision that you feel uncomfortable with about going to see a film. All right, that should do it. Don't forget to check out all of their podcasts in the Some Like It Scott feed, including our latest episodes of Some Like It Scott as well as Champ's Lunch and our brand new countdown miniseries that we've already been alluding to a little bit on this episode. And that's where we review all of David Fincher's past works leading up to Mank on Netflix later this fall. Catch all three of us on that series. And until then, for Scott Harvey and Jay Habib, I'm Scott Shelton. See you next time.